This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website, powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-215-0465. That's 800-215-0465. And go for Mike Slater in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. I'm not going to try anything on here anyway. Off the top at six, a mesquite woman outraged when she says a business allowed a man in the women's dressing room. Dan Haggerty live for us from the store right off 635 with her story tonight. Dan? Yeah, and this woman says she wasn't just upset with the fact that this woman, this man rather, was in the women's uh, dressing room at this Ross dress for less, but what she saw him wearing when he finally walked out. I was mad and kind of appalled, I guess, at the same time. Lisa Stickles told me she shops at this Ross a few times a week, but never again. Take your clothes back. I'm not going to try anything on here anyway. Lisa said Monday she heard a man in the women's dressing room and told a manager who went to check it out. He came right back out and called me to the side and told me that he was representing himself as a woman today. Lisa said she complained, stayed in the store, and called corporate long enough to see the man walk out. And he was in no way dressed as a woman. He had on jeans, a T-shirt, five o'clock shadow, very deep voice. He was a man. Ross didn't comment specifically on the incident, but told me they don't discriminate against the transgender community. Policies at other big chain retailers vary, according to customer service. Target, TJ Maxx, and Marshalls allow customers to decide based on gender identity. Kohl's forces customers to use facilities based on their biological gender, and Walmart had no specific policy at all. So what about me or my feelings are making me feel uncomfortable? And Lisa doesn't think any of the policies work for her, especially if they can be easily exploited. Okay, that's uh, Slater Chris Eddis. How are you? America's the greatest country in the world. Thank you for being here. There was one amazing part in there, and I, I, I chimed in for a second to give you a little heads up. The, I, and I think this is unintentional, right? This is out of Dallas. So it's just your local news. I don't think there's some in, in massive inherent agenda with, with the way he said this. It's just the way it, it was written in our culture today. He said, Target, TJ Maxx, and Marshalls allows customers to decide which dressing room to use based on their gender identity. Kohl's forces customers to use the room based on their biological gender. Allows versus forces. Which of those two things sound more compassionate? Allows versus forces. Allows is a happy word. Positive connotations. Oh, wonderful. How open-minded of Target, TJ Maxx, and Marshalls to allow people to choose. Forces is negative. It's bigoted. We're against force in America. We don't like force, generally. And Big Bad Coles forces people to use the dressing rooms they may not want to use. See the bias? And again, unintentional bias. Of putting that. Interesting. That's just, it's just a sign of this guy, this reporter living in our politically correct, false compassionate world culture. 
I, I could, if I were uh, the flip side of that, I would say um, target TJ Maxx and Marshalls intentionally puts women at risk with their transgender policy. Coles' policy allows women to feel safe while in the dressing room. Or something like that. Right? See how I can just word it a little differently, say the same thing, but it comes across totally differently. Anyway, just a little example of things to come. So I want to make this argument straight out of the gate here because it's a little out there, but I guarantee you it will happen. I guarantee you it will happen. Let me just tell you what it is first and then I'll, I'll build to it. Within two years max, two years max, maybe even next year, no more than two years, in your kid's school and every school across the country, there will be no more gender pronouns allowed. No more he, she, him, or her. That will all be replaced with Z, Z Z-E. Or the singular they and their. So, little Johnny is going to the bathroom, or going wherever, going to the chalkboard. You would say, they are going to the chalkboard. Instead of he is going to the chalkboard. They is going to the chalkboard. It's called the singular they. Talk to anyone who's taken a college gender studies class, and they teach all about the singular they, or Z, Z-E. Within two years. Now, I say instead of why. Why do you think this is the case? Because the memo that the Obama administration released last week says that no school, to every public school in the country, you are not allowed to create a hostile environment to any student. If you create a hostile environment, then you are at risk of losing your federal funding. And, of course, you're going to be open to lawsuits as well. Now, hostile environment is super broad. What does that mean? Well, you have a transgender student in the class. Teacher refers to him as a he. And he says, whoa. My preferred gender pronoun is Z. They get sued. School is going to risk losing their funding. um, And they're going to eliminate gender pronouns. Now, hostile environment, because it's never good enough. And I'll talk about this a little more later. It's never good enough to be accommodating or compromising. And just call that person Z or whatever. It's going to be more than that. If the word he or she is used in a classroom, the transgender person, all it takes is one, Z, will be offended by just the presence of gender-specific pronouns. The mention of gender-specific pronouns creates a hostile environment. Slater, how do you know that's true? I want to tell a story a little later, and this has happened a bunch of times, but there's one in the New York Times just this weekend or a couple days ago. Um... Person born a girl, yeah, girl, now it's a boy. And the school said, I wanted to use the boys' locker rooms, bathrooms, and the school said, all right, AJ, who used to go by Autumn, AJ, uh, why don't you use one of the six single-stall bathrooms that we have across the school? Okay, That way it can be accommodating for everyone, we'll have compassion for you, you can have empathy for everyone else, and we can just uh, be okay with this, and you can use that bathroom and feel safe, and everyone will feel... Nope! That's not, no, that's not good enough! I must be allowed to use whatever bathroom I choose on any given day! <laughs> it's like, what? Just use the single... No! I am the Rosa Parks 
of today's grand civil rights struggle, and I will not be relegated to a single stall bathroom. Right? It's never going to be good enough. There is no compromise here. So the mere mention, the utterance of gender-specific pronouns is all it takes for a hostile environment to be created. And all it takes is that to create a lawsuit, to lose federal funding, and blah, blah, blah. Okay, so uh, within two years, no more gender pronouns used in any schools. Guarantee it. Now, I made this prediction on my local show on, I don't know, maybe Tuesday. And I could feel the eye rolls through the radio. I could feel everyone in San Diego saying, oh, pfft, Slater. There goes Slater again. Making these super dramatic predictions. Trying to scare everyone. The next day. The next day. The official legal guidance from the New York City Commission on Human Rights. Are you ready? I will quote. They now, quote, require all employers, landlords, businesses, and professionals to use an employee's, tenants, customers, or clients preferred gender pronoun regardless of the individual's sex assigned at birth, anatomy, gender, medical history, appearance, or the sex indicated on the individual's driver's license. That is a quote. That is the New York City Commission on Human Rights. This is now the legal guidance, basically law. If not, you will be fined $125,000, $250,000. That's a quarter of a mil for any malicious offenses. So let's say you are a landlord. Your landlord, you uh, knock on your tenant's door who hasn't paid their rent in a couple months. And you say, hey, Charlie, how are you today? I need you to pay up, Charlie. And Charlie says, oh, I, I, um, I, I never pay you. I, 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 don't, I mean, meaning I'm not the one who pays you. My, my, uh, my roommate is the one who pays you. And the landlord says, who's your roommate? And Charlie says, oh, Jim. And Jim comes walking out from the background. And landlord goes, Jim. I've never met Jim before. Who is he? Whoa. <laughs> what did you say? Uh, excuse me, landlord. <clears throat> Jim prefers to go by Z. That'll be a cool $125,000 fine if I go to the New York City Commission on Human Rights with that one. If you are a business, customer walks in, you call them he or she, and they prefer Z or they, that's it. That's all it takes. Doesn't even have to be malicious. Doesn't have to be discriminatory. Inherently, what? Just, just, you said it. It's not their preferred gender pronoun. That's it. Now, these are civil penalties. Civil penalties. If you don't speak the way that the government tells you to speak, and the way that the government's telling you to speak is however any one person at any given day tells you how to speak. 
That's the new rule in New York City. And of course, it's going to go everywhere else as well. Now, of course, it would be much easier if the government just passed a law that said we all had to refer to each other as comrade. Right? That, that's, now, that's what I'm going for. I just, can we just all, comrade, comrade Slater, can we just go with that from now on? So, that being said, about the New York City Commission on Public on Human Rights, uh, do you now think it is unlikely that gender pronouns will not be used in schools within two years? I believe they will not be allowed to. And again, the whole thing driving this, as we explained last week, and we put in a video that has uh, approaching um, half a million views, pretty cool, on our Facebook page. Um, if they can eliminate gender, the concept of gender, then nothing else can stand. Uh, gender is the most objective foundational truth of all things. Uh, on it stands marriage, faith, family. And if you can tear down gender, then you can easily tear down those other important things as well. That's what's driving this whole thing. If you can, if you can eliminate the concept of gender, what argument do we have that marriage is between a man and a woman? There is no such thing as man and woman. So how can you say marriage is between two things that doesn't exist? All right, with me? That's the goal here. one 888 Keep an ear out at your kid's school for the singular they and Z-E. Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on The Blaze Radio Network. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website, powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-215-0465. That's 800-215-0465. Mike Slater Slater Crusaders Great question from uh, Stephen here on Twitter Slater Radio on Twitter What if a white male student who identifies as a male Is offended Being called Z Can he file a lawsuit Stephen first of all Great question second of all I think you know the answer (laughs) Uh Honestly, though, during the break, I was trying to find the memo. I, I forgot where I found it. I can't find the actual memo itself. Um, I read it a couple of days ago. I'm, I, I'm trying to find the, the exact wording. But it's something like, if you can't create a hostile environment to transgender people. That's, that's the, it's the wording, something like that. So it's not a hostile environment to you, straight white male. It's a hostile environment to the transgender person. They're the ones and the only ones that matter. And that's how these things work. Uh, I want to read here from uh, David French. He found a speech from Vanita Gupta, who's the head of the Civil Rights Division at the Department of Justice. And on May 9th, Vanita Gupta said, here are the facts. Okay, these are the facts. Transgender men are men. They live, work, and study as men. 
Transgender women are women. They live, work, and study as women. That sentence right there is so profound about our era, about our culture. A top-level leader at the Department of Justice, not top-level leader at the Women's and Gender Studies Department at Wesleyan, Department of Justice says that if you're born a man but live as a woman, you're a woman. It's a fact. Here are the facts. So it's a fact that a man can have a menstrual cycle and a man can get pregnant. It's a fact, (laughs) according to the Justice Department. What? Now, of course, this memo, you know all about it generally by now, right? If you don't accommodate transgender students to their liking, uh, then they're going to take away your federal funding. So lesson number one is what uh, Cooper, Lynn Cooper just sent me. Um, Local communities must adjust their school budget to end the need for federal funds. Yes, higher property tax for our freedom. Uh, now, yes, I would argue that we don't need to raise property taxes to eliminate the federal funding. But yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with your general uh, jive here, um, the gist here. Don't ever take federal funding <laughs> because they control you. If you're in debt to someone, they control you. Being in debt is the worst feeling I've ever had in my entire life. Being in debt to someone, you're a slave to them. They consume your thoughts. They control your actions. You don't live for yourself. You don't work for yourself. You live for them. You work for them. It's a horrible, horrible feeling. It's point one. And that's a lesson that all these federal, all these public schools are going to learn the hard way on this one. Secondly, uh, you are discriminating and anti-science and contributing to a hostile environment if you use the male and female pronouns. That's it. That's it because they won't be used anymore. <laughs> Amazing. Um, I want to quote from again David French here. <laughs> oh, let me say one thing first. This is a horrible precedent, no, no matter what side you're on, right? Because now it's game on, right? The, the, the federal government has complete control over your kid's education in the public schools. There's no doubt about it anymore. Because now there's this precedent that if anyone in D.C. has an idea, they could just write a memo and every public school has to follow it or else they're going to take away all their federal funding. That's horrible. That should scare you no matter what side of the aisle you're on. Let's say uh, you hate Trump. Okay, Now, conservatives are against this memo right here, right? The content of this memo. Conservatives should be against the, the, the fact that the federal government can, could do something like this in the first place. But specifically, conservatives are against the content of this memo. But let's flip it around. Let's say you hate Donald Trump. Okay, And you're, you're terrified of a Trump presidency. This precedent should terrify you. Because what if Donald Trump comes in and says, hey, progressives, uh, if there are any students that are children of illegal immigrant families at at your local school, we're going to take away all their federal funding. 
Right? Any 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 children of illegal immigrants go to any public schools, we're going to take away that public school's money. And you're going to say, whoa, is this a law that you passed through the Congress? Nope, it's a memo I just wrote. A, a memo? <laughs> a memo? What? Yeah, it's a memo. Just wrote a memo about it. And that's the deal now. The feds have complete control over you. That should terrify you no matter what side you're on. <laughs> but people don't think that way, right? One eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three. I want to talk about what's driving all this next. Uh, no, I mean, I'm sorry. I told you what's driving it before, right? It's, it's it's just destruction of the concept of truth. But there's something that's uh, there's more of an emotional aspect that's driving all this as well. The, I won't tell you the word. It starts with the letter N. N as in Nancy. Uh, you know, Nancy, the the boy that's in your kid's classroom, Nancy. Uh, that's what's driving all this. We got to put a stop to it. We'll do it next. Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater. Slater Crusader. Thanks for being here. Happy Saturday. Uh, I want to go to Dan in St. Louis. Dan, how are you today, sir? I'm doing fine. How about you, Mr. Slater? Hey, brother. Good to hear from you, man. Thanks for calling in. What's on your mind? Okay, I'm going to tie this all together. You mentioned Comrade earlier, and I'm going to tie this together for you. I was on the 1980 Olympic weightlifting team, uh, and which Carter boycotted, by the way. Thanks, Jimmy. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, I still have close friends in Russia. And we talk, and with technology, we Skype now. And what they're telling me, and we talk back and forth, as this 100-year uh, progressive agenda will not end well for them. It's going to be third-generation conservatives that will be ruling them. The strong will survive, and these weak will be ruled. And it's inevitable. It cannot not happen, Mr. Slater. What do you mean? What do you What do you mean? The weak? Who are the weak in this scenario? The weak. The weak are the liberals. They're weak. They're, they're they 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 fall for anything. You know mm. the they's, the z's, the comrades. Which that's where I think we're headed. Comrades. Yeah, so what do you see? What do you see with your Russian uh, friends, uh, comrades? That uh, that makes you the tie all this together like that. Okay, uh, uh, they see where we're headed, and they've been there. Yeah. And they said, once this door is opened, okay, which it is, I mean, look at Bernie fans, socialism. Yeah. Okay, socialism is nothing but, you know, the, the next step to, to communism. And who do they think is going to run this show? It's not going to be the meek and weak. It's going to be the strong. Wow. You're right. You're absolutely right. And, and the, strong, the, same, the, the, the strong is going to be the ones that's going to rule the weak. And they have no idea what's coming. Uh, what's so what's right. coming I, is... We're going to rule them. Well, meaning, meaning I'm a third-generation conservative, or someone's going to rule all of us. But, but yes, at the very least, they are not going to be the ones in charge or in power okay, or in control. Okay. But the but the some ones that's going to rule all of us are going to hire us strong to help them rule. What's Dan? I want I want to comment on all this, but first I gotta I gotta ask you: How awful is it that Carter boycotted that those Olympics? 
absolutely, absolutely terrible. A good friend of mine runs, he's 62 years old. I'm 60. He runs a gym in Russia. All right. Um, and you say your question again. I'm yeah, no, how awful, how awful was it that Carter boycotted that? Oh, absolutely terrible. I busted my tail, tail for four years. Okay, busted my tail, and all of a sudden Jimmy Carter brings uh, uh, politics into yeah. sports. All right, and then and then Russia boycotted the '84 Olympics. If you if yeah. you go back and okay, they boycotted, so you know they were screwed. Yeah, I hate that now, for you, man. I really do. As as a swimmer whose sport is most popular around Olympic time, and I understand all that takes to get in there, um, and once every four years to have that happen, I, I just, man, I feel for it. I think that's awful. Uh, what was your, and real quick, because we got to get back to this, but what was your uh, your your main event in weightlifting? Okay, uh, well, it was a snatch and a clean and jerk. I, was, I held the U.S. record until about oh, 15 years ago. It was in kilos, but I'm going to convert it to pounds. Yeah, yeah. I lifted in 100 kilos, which is 220 pounds, snatched 362 in pounds. But obviously, you know, that we the international competition, we used kilos. Yeah, so snatched 362. So I can, body wa- I can body squat. Yeah, so I can, uh, okay, yeah, I can squat 350. So you're snatching. <laughs> that is remarkable. And that was Absolutely in 1980. Remarkable. Yeah, and now what, what are they doing now? Oh, they're oh guys my size now are doing four ten four twenty, which is wow. I mean, I know, I know it's amazing. But some people would have have trouble deadlifting for something these days. Yeah, like a normal person. A normal person would have trouble deadlifting four hundred. Yeah, I cleaned a jerk four twenty four, snatched three sixty two. In seventy nine, I took third in the world, and and your listeners are going to get a kick out of this. A Russian won it, an East German took second, and I took third. People don't even know about East Germany now. Yeah. Were they, were they roiding up? Oh, my gosh. Oh, I can tell you. I mean, you don't, you don't have time to tell you the stories that we talked about in international competition. I remember yeah. the, East yeah. German, the East German women swimmers at that time were jacked beyond all belief. Oh. <laughs> it was unreal <laughs> what they were up to. It's awesome. You have hey, no idea. Dan, you have man, no I-, I appreciate you calling in, brother. Calling in any time, right? All right, thank you. Have, Thanks, dude. Have an show. awesome day, man. Love your Thanks, show. dude. Um, sorry, to, I just wanted to put a minute there of uh, of weightlifting talk in there. Um, I read a quote from uh, Glenn Reynolds the other day. How did he put it? He said, "In capitalism, the rich become powerful. In socialism, the powerful become rich." It's so funny. People on the left who think socialism is happiness and and working together and. Uh, and, and they hate income inequality. They, it's, they want it to be equality. That's what they want. Socialism, socialist countries, communist countries are the most unequal uh, when it comes to opportunity, when it comes to income, when it comes to wealth of all countries in the entire world. And they're also the ones that are most unequal when it comes to power distribution. So they, they absolutely got it backwards, but no surprise. There. All right. I want to talk about the, uh, the N word here. Uh, this whole transgender bathroom thing. I told you what it's, what's really fueling it. Uh, by the leaders, right? It's to eliminate the concept of gender completely so that everything else that's based on gender will come crumbling down as well. Uh, that's the activist leaders. But what's driving it amongst our culture? I think it's narcissism. That's it. If, if we were less narcissistic, this wouldn't be an issue. So I want to talk about narcissism for a second. First, um, 
where the word comes from. There's a, uh, a Greek mythological character, Narcissus. And the short of the story is he uh, was a jerk to uh, Echo. Right? Echo loved Narcissus. Narcissus was a jerk to her. Uh, so Nemesis, the goddess of revenge, lured Narcissus to a pond. And he looked into the pond and he saw his own reflection and he fell in love with it. Not realizing that that reflection was a reflection. And then he finally realized over forever that his love could not be reciprocated, so he committed suicide. So that's where we get the word uh, for narcissism. So there's something called narcissism personality disorder. Uh, I want to describe it. This is the characterization from Dr. Sam Vaknin. And I want to see if you see any of this in our culture today. And, and maybe as I'm reading this, think your Facebook feed. Right? When you go on Facebook... I want to see if any of these things uh, relate to, to what you see and to what you experience in the workplace or what you hear about on college campuses, all the rest. Here we go. The narcissist feels grandiose and self-important. That means exaggerates accomplishments, talents, skills, contacts, and personality traits to the point of lying, demands to be recognized as superior without commiserate achievements, is obsessed with fantasies of unlimited success, Fame, fearsome power or omnipotence, unequal brilliance, bodily beauty, or sexual performance. Firmly convinced, the narcissist is firmly convinced that he or she is unique and being special can only be understood by other special or unique or high status people. Requires excessive admiration, attention, and affirmation. Feels entitled. Devoid of empathy. That's what I want to get to in a second. Uh, is unable or unwilling to identify with, acknowledge, or accept the feelings, needs, preferences, priorities, and choices of others. This ties into um, what Stephen sent the other day. Like, well, what if a male is offended by being called a Z? Nope, that doesn't matter. Because it's all about me. Perhaps the most immediately evident trait of patients with narcissism personality disorder is their vulnerability to criticism and disagreement. Subject to negative input, real or imagined, even to a mild rebuke, a constructive suggestion or an offer to help, they feel injured, humiliated, and empty, and they react with disdain, rage, and defiance. That, I believe, is our culture in a nutshell. It's our culture in a nutshell. So, I was talking about this with someone the other day, and they said, Slater, you're not going to believe it. I am a uh, psychologist. And every couple of years, the American Psychology Association or something like that, the big trade group, goes back through the list of disorders and makes any changes that are necessary or um, maybe adds some new ones that are recognized or whatever, right? Just to keep keep the, the work up, right? Just so everyone knows what the, what the list of disorders are. A couple of years ago, they thought about taking narcissistic personality disorder out of the list of disorders, Removing it. Removing it from a potential disorder. Why? Because in order to be a disorder, it has to be uncommon and has to have a negative influence on your life. Negative impact on your life. It doesn't, it doesn't have that requirement anymore, right? So it doesn't, it doesn't meet those standards anymore because everyone is narcissistic. Or it's not uncommon, at least. 
And secondly, it doesn't affect your life negatively anymore because instead of telling narcissistic people to stop being so narcissistic, we've changed the culture to suit the needs of narcissistic people. And even, I would say, to celebrate narcissistic people. So it's not even a disorder anymore. Now, here's the thing. The more narcissistic you are, the less empathetic you are, the less empathy you have. So here's why I want to tie it into the transgender bathroom. The transgender uh, bathroom narcissist says, I'm going to go to the bathroom that I want to go to. Empathy says, I'm going to go to the bathroom that makes other people most comfortable. I want to take a break. I want to come back with uh, a transgender person who was on um, Chris Matthews the other day. And she, born a he, now a she, makes an argument that is a rock-solid argument for her side. And it's such a good argument. I want to take it and turn it against her. 1-888-900-3393. We'll do that next. But you can see. The more narcissistic we are, the less empathetic we are. And this whole thing could be ended with a little bit of empathy, a little bit of transgender people or activists saying, hmm, what would make other people most comfortable? I'll do that. But instead, it has to all be about me. This is my world. Everyone else is just living in it. Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to... Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater Crusaders, um, talking about narcissism and empathy we got too much nar- narcissism and when you have so much narcissism you can't be empathetic you just can't do it um i want to play this clip here this is uh, a person who was born a man now is a woman jennifer finney boylan on um chris matthews this is how she pitches this whole gender bathrooms thing this is how it's going to be pitched and uh, she does a really great job of it here it is This is a solution in search of a problem. And what I would suggest that we do is what my mother, a Republican evangelical Christian, suggested we do, which is open your hearts. Travis, Hmm. if you had a child who was transgender, and I'm glad that you recognize the existence of gender dysphoria as a real condition that many of us face, um, we don't deserve to be humiliated. We don't deserve to be treated with anything other than love. And this is not going to open the door to boys in girls' bathrooms. That is a hallucination which the right has come up with in order to scare people. And it's not necessary. Even better would be if we simply open our hearts and treat each other with kindness and with the respect and dignity that we all deserve as citizens of this country. So that argument will win every time. Every time. Right? They try to stake the higher ground, the compassionate ground, right? The open your heart, evil conservative. Don't you want to be treated with respect? Right? 
don't don't scare people, all right? We, we just need to treat each other with kindness and dignity. In today's feel-good, politically correct culture, that argument is impenetrable. Which is why I suggest we use the exact same argument. Ms. Boylan, I would like to suggest that you do what my mother says. My mother, who's a die-hard Hillary-loving Democrat. She suggests that you... Open up your heart. If you had a daughter who was in the bathroom and a man comes in and this makes her uncomfortable. Or if you had an older daughter or a wife who was raped and the sight of a man in a place that she views as a safe space would make her uncomfortable. All I ask is you have some respect and kindness for her. Open your heart. Treat her with the dignity that she deserves as a citizen of this country. It's called having empathy. Right? That's why my solution is that you go to the bathroom that makes other people most comfortable. Because you say something like, you know what? Maybe it's not all about me. I can see why a dad wouldn't want someone who looks like a man to go into the women's restroom with their daughter. I can understand that. I can understand how a rape victim might be startled by my presence in the women's room. Think of other people and their concerns. That's empathy. But that's not what we let's not the culture we live in. In the culture, it's all about me. You know the golden rule, right? Treat others how you'd want to be treated. That can only be the rule if you even care about how you treat others. Others isn't even a concept to a narcissistic person. In our culture, that golden rule doesn't even exist. You're listening to Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. And go for Mike Slater in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater Crusaders, America's the greatest country in the world. Happy Saturday. Thank you for being here. I want to go uh, right to Rick in Texas. We were just chatting about uh, transgender bathrooms and what's really driving it. Big picture. Um, And then also the narcissistic culture that we live in, which is uh, giving it some turbo boosters. Uh, Rick, how are you, sir? Good. How are things in the land of sunshine and sharks, Mike? <laughs> well, more like the land of fruit and nuts out here, but uh, we're doing the best we can. And we, we're trying yeah. to, not to send you all the crazy people to Texas because we don't want to ruin Texas for you. Right. I'm trying to save it for you. Um, <laughs> Perfect. I appreciate you taking my call. And, and I've been thinking about this. A couple of weeks ago, you were talking about how this this war on gender, if you will, was basically to undermine the foundation of anything that is actually true and factual. Mm-hmm. And it's been running around in my head. And what you're talking about today to me seems very much the same thing. And I don't, I don't know how much you're a student of so many things. It blows my mind sometimes. And I expect that you're probably a student of Alinsky, not from a, Hey, this is a great guy sort of point of view, <laughs> but kind of like, this is what the enemy's playbook looks like. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Saul Alinsky, it, certainly. This is so Alinsky. I mean, I was reading something earlier because I was writing something and researching, and it's, you know, the line, repeat a lie enough times and it will break through. 
This is what's happening in our culture. And it's, it, it's there. We, we lack a moral center anymore. I mean, I'm, I'm twice your age, Mike. And, uh, you know, I grew up with please and thank you and yes, sir. And no ma'am. And, and, and holding doors for people. And we looked outside of ourselves, um, at church, we've been going kind of into a deep dive about mercy and over the last few weeks in our Bible study. And it's, it's complex, and it's pretty thin on the ground these days. And, and, and it's actually, it brings me to something that we were talking about this morning at a breakfast with some guys. Um, this is nothing new. This goes back, if you're familiar with Isaiah 56, at all? Uh, I got to look it up here to be reminded. Where is it? Well, I, I, I got it right in front of me. Yeah. Um, and it, it's, <laughs> Isaiah, if, if you want to read something interesting, read Isaiah. It's amazing. Okay. Um, but it says, it's God's accusation against the wicked. Come all you beasts of the field and, and come to devour all you beasts in the forest. Is Israel's watchmen are blind and they lack knowledge. They are all mute dogs. They cannot mar- bark. Mm-hmm. They wow. lie around and dream. And they love to sleep. And this is where wow. it gets good. They are dogs with mighty appetites. They never have enough. They are shepherds who lack understanding. They all turn to their own way. Yep. That point to me is key. Each scene seeks his own gain. Come, each one cries, let me get wine. Let us drink our fill of beer. And tomorrow will be like today or even far better. Wow. I mean, if that doesn't, if that doesn't sum what? it up. And, yeah, that's amazing. I, I love I love when I read the Bible and and I say, that's in there? Like, what? That's so perfect. That is unbelievably perfect. And this was thousands of years ago this was happening. Yep. And in a, wow. in a way, it's kind of depressing, but in a way, it kind of gives me hope because we've been down yep. this road before. Yep. And, and again, the whole thing, I go back to mercy and consideration and, yes, like you said earlier in the show, you know, go, using the bathroom that makes other people feel comfortable, doing the things that make other people feel comfortable, being uncomfortable in yourself in doing those things to show them mercy, to show them consideration, to show them kindness. Mm. There's not enough of that in this world, Mike, and, and I, I will march with you and, and the other Slater Crusaders and other people that, that I know hand in hand till I die to bring that back and, and to stand uh, in the gap, if you will, Beautiful. and not let it Beautiful. go quietly. Beautifully done. Superb. I'm going to take that uh, next week on my local show too, Rick. Really, really well done. I'll give you credit for it. And then I'll give the big guy credit too. Rick, awesome to hear from you, man. Thank you so much for calling. Really good. Thank you, and and a, Thank you, brother. And a great, um, great springboard into a story that I just heard about two days ago. And I'm, I'm sick at myself for just coming across this gentleman now. And I want to thank Molly Hemingway for bringing him to my attention. The Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty. It's a group of lawyers that protects people's religious freedom. And they gave an award the other day to Armando Valladares. Armando spent 22 years in prison. Now, when I say in prison, uh, I I mean 22 years of of torture and near solitary confinement. 22 years. Now, here's the catch. 
in order to get out of prison, he just had to do one simple thing. He just had to sign a piece of paper. Any, any day of 22 years. Sign a piece of paper, he could have been out. He didn't do it. Slater, what did the piece of paper say? This piece of paper said, I support Fidel Castro. Armando spent 22 years in a Cuban prison because he would not say, I support Fidel. Any day. All he had to do was say, I support Fidel. He would have been out. That's amazing. (laughs) He didn't do it. Now, I want to quote one line from his speech. And actually, we're going to take an early break because on the next segment, I want to read the whole speech because it's great. It's not that long. But I want to read this one line because, Rick, I mean, I love that Isaiah 56. Man, that's good. That's perfect. Israel's watchmen are blind. They all lack knowledge. They are mute dogs. They cannot bark. Armando refused to lie around and dream, refused to sleep, refused to be mute. Or in his specific case, refused to say something against his conscience. So I want to quote this line here. This is about uh, Little Sisters of the Poor. So again, Little Sisters of the Poor was that group of nuns who refused to pay for the uh, contraception morning after pill that's mandated in Obamacare. And the case went to the Supreme Court and the other day the Supreme Court sort of ruled in favor of Little Sisters of the Poor. It was a weird ruling, kind of a tie, but tie goes to the nuns, I guess. So here's here's Armando, the Cuban dissident. Even when we have nothing... Each person, and only that person, possesses the key to his or her own conscience, his or her own sacred castle. In that respect, each of us, though we may not have an earthly castle or even a house, each of us is richer than a king or queen. The little sisters of the poor know this. They may be called the little sisters of the poor, yet they are rich in that they live out their conscience, which no government bureaucrat can invade. They know what my body knows after 22 years of cruel torture, that if they sign the form, the government demands they will be violating their conscience and would commit spiritual suicide. If they did that, they would forfeit the true and only wealth they have and abandoning the castle of their consciences. And so I salute the little sisters of the poor for their seemingly small act of defiance. That is awesome. Because it's the little sisters of the poor who said, no, 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 no. not one inch. You beasts of the field, not one inch. You will not violate my conscience. Awesome. Rick, it's great stuff, brother. Uh, I want to come back actually and read a little more from Armando. It's perfection. And then I want to bring in Phil Robertson, who I love. I love, I, I, I could listen to Phil Robertson forever. So we'll do, uh, we'll do both those coming up. So glad you're here.
1-888-900-3393 on Facebook. Um, we have a video up about transgender bathrooms. You got to scroll down a little bit, uh, but it's got, uh, I think it's, we're approaching half a million views, which is cool. And then we have a video up about Facebook, cons- uh, censoring conservatives and Facebook won't let us, um, sell any ads or won't let us boost the post. So if you spend money, which we, uh, maybe we've done twice, like 20 bucks, but if you spend money to send out a video on, on people's feeds, um, you, you can do that, but it won't let me do it for this one. The video about censoring conservatives, Facebook won't let me, we, we wouldn't anyway, but they won't let me boost it. <laughs> so you, but you can share it yourself still, which is good. All right. More Armando next. Mike Slater. So the blaze radio network spread the word. Mike Slater on the blaze radio network. Part of the next generation of talk radio. This is Mike Slater. Slater, Crusaders. Thanks for being here. I, I'm, uh, we're reaching out to Armando Valladares. See if we can chat with him. Man, this is a man who has a story to share. Um, real quick, because I want to read the part of his speech I haven't read yet. I didn't mention yet because uh, it's so good. Actually, I can just tell you what happened. So I read this on my local show the other day, and a homeless man was listening. And he not not like when i say homeless i think maybe you have an image of you know a guy pushing cart been homeless for 50 years you know that kind of um this is a man just super down on his luck um alcohol it was an alcoholic lost everything living on the street a little different than a bum right that's how it so he was listening and he called in he said slater this is so moving um i want to change my life so badly this spoke to me so badly all that stuff um, his name was Jim. I said, Jim, uh, what do you do? What can you do? He's like, Oh, I'm a sous chef. I can, I'm really good at taking orders. Really good at being a sous chef. So all right, anyone listening now wants to maybe help Jim, uh, there's a number. So, uh, Jeff called in and Jeff runs a memory care center and said, uh, we're looking for a chef. Someone help out. So got him in touch. I don't know what happened. What happened, but Point is, it was that moving of a speech to move people, um, to make something good like that happen. And I told Jeff, the guy who called in, helping. I said, Jeff, man, we're talking about a, a homeless man who he's been clean for eight months, but he's an alcoholic and maybe a total flake. And this may go horribly for you, and you might get burned. You know what he said? I'll never forget. It. He goes, Yeah, burns heal. It's like, oh, oh, man, that's awesome. Anyway, here it is, Armando. He said, I am not an extraordinary man. I am quite ordinary. But God chose me for something quite extraordinary. When I was 23 years old, I refused to do something that at the time seemed very small. I refused to say a few words. I'm with Fidel. I still refuse to say those words. If I just said those words, I would have been released from prison. My story is proof that a small act of defiance can mean everything for the Friends of Liberty. I love this line. They did not keep me in jail for 22 years. 
because my refusal to say these three words meant nothing. In reality, those three words meant everything. Oh, that's such a good line. Because you could probably hear this story and you're like, Slater, why didn't the guy just say, I support Fidel? Who cares? What, it's not a big deal. He just sort of said it and then could have gone on with his life. It is a big deal. It's such a big deal. If, or I should put it, if it wasn't such a big deal, why would they have kept him in jail for 22 years? It is a big deal. Those three words mean everything. For me to say those words would constitute a type of spiritual suicide. Even though my body was in prison and being tortured, my soul was free and it flourished. My jailers took everything away from me, but they could not take away my conscience or my faith. That's what spoke to the Jim, uh, the homeless man. Uh, he said, Slater, I feel like I'm in torture. I feel like I'm in prison. I feel like I'm being tortured. Uh, but this man made me realize that my soul is free and can still flourish. And I want to get out of this prison. That, that's what he said, spoke to him. Anyway, um, even when we have nothing, each person and only that person possesses the key to his or her own conscience, his or her own sacred castle. In that respect, each of us, though we may not have an earthly castle or even a house, each of us is richer than a king or queen. And that's what I read about the Sisters of the Poor a second ago. Uh, all right, a few more parts here. I'm here to tell you that every little act counts. No man or woman is too small or simple to be called to bear witness to the truth. And I'm here to remind you that each of you possesses great wealth in the sacred domain of your conscience. And I'm here to tell you that each of you is called to stay true. I'm also here to tell you that when you make that choice from that moment forward, even if you are naked in solitary confinement for eight years, you are never alone because God is there with you. For many of you, particularly the young people, it may seem like I come from a faraway land from a long time ago. Young friends, you may not be taken away at gunpoint, as I was for staying true to my conscience. But there are many other ways to take you away and to imprison your body and your mind. There are many ways you can be silenced in your schools, your universities, in your workplace. And I warn you, just as there is a very short distance between the U.S. and Cuba, there is a very short distance between a democracy and a dictatorship where the government gets to decide what you do, how to think, and how to live. And sometimes your freedom is not taken away at gunpoint, but instead it is done one piece of paper at a time, one seemingly meaningless rule at a time, one small silencing at a time. Never allow the government or anyone else to tell you what you can or cannot believe or what you can and cannot say or what your conscience tells you you have to do or not do. It's the end. Um, you know, we talk on this show from time to time about the end of our country. <laughs> um, and I think I'd, I'd do that not because I think it's going to happen, but because I want people to admit that it could are you with me on that difference? I, I don't think it will. I, I don't think America will turn into a d horrible tyranny like Venezuela is going through right now or Cuba or uh, Soviet Union or China, whatever. I, I don't think it will, but I know it could. 
And I get frustrated because there's a lot of people who don't even think it's possible. And if, if, if we don't think it's possible to be like Venezuela or whoever, then it most certainly will happen. Right? Oh, gosh, that's so tricky to explain. We all have to be honest and be humble and realistic and realize that our country could absolutely turn into a despotic country. It could. And if we admit that and if we understand that, then it won't. But if we ignore that reality, then it will. That's the difference. Armando ends his speech actually thanking a bunch of people and he thanks his wife. He says, all of you have heard the story of Penelope, who waited 20 years for um, Ulysses. He says, my wife Martha is a real-life Penelope, but she didn't stay home knitting. She traveled all over the world campaigning for my release. She always hoped and trusted in God that we would both reunited against all hope. Uh, I love that reference. So Penelope was the wife of Ulysses. Uh, So he went out and fought for 20 years. And the entire time, Penelope remained faithful to him. And men tried to court her, but she would always come up with some excuse, right? She'd say, oh, I'm I'm not going to be with another man until I finish knitting this burial shroud for him. And she would knit all day and then she would undo what she did every day so that she really made no progress. But anyway, it was all stalling tactic to wait for her husband to come home. Now, as Armando said, that's a bit of a passive reaction. We need to be more like Armando's wife. Be more active in putting our country back on track. And just get us pointing back in the right direction again. Our, our country's always been this beacon because we've always held up the beacon of truth. We start to turn away from it, and we wonder why we're so lost. It's simple. Just get back to the Constitution. <laughs> that's just a start there. Point is, we can still reorient this ship. Let's not forget that either. Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio on The Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater Crusaders, I love Phil Robertson. I love Michael listening to him forever. He just cracks me up. So he is in Can. Is that how we're pronouncing this word? Con, 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 France. Uh, he's got a movie, Torchbearer. I know nothing about it, but I, I will soon. I'll learn more about it, and maybe we can talk to him or the uh, producers or whoever. So he was on Fox and Friends the other day. Now, obviously, uh, Phil was a big cruise guy. Now, his son, Willie, was a big Trump guy. The patriarch of the family, big cruise guy. Now, Cruz obviously not in the race. Sue, on Fox and Friends, they asked Phil if he was jumping on the Trump train. Now, before I play this clip, do you remember what we talked about the week, so the Saturday after Cruz dropped out? And we may have done it the next Saturday after that, too. Do you remember the approach we took? This is right after Indiana, right after Ted Cruz dropped out of the race. The very first segment we did, I, I, I said, if I were tasked with convincing a never-Trump person or a Cruz supporter, 
to vote for Trump, right? If I were tasked with that argument, what argument would I make? Now, I just saw on Glenbeck.com, right? I see on the Blaze and they link to Glenbeck.com. Uh, let me see if I let me see if it's right here. Mm, I must have saw it on Glenbeck.com. Uh, sorry, sorry, sorry. It's worth mentioning. Let me find it here. Ba, 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 ba. Where is it? Ah, Glenn's mind officially blown. Rabbi Daniel Lapin boards the Trump train. Now, the good rabbi actually has a show here on uh, on the Blaze Radio, which you should listen to. But he his analysis was. He said, Glenn, I don't think that we're on a carnival cruise line. I think we're on a sinking ship. And what we're looking at are two lifeboats. And there's only two. Um, and each one will be able to take us all. But one of them, as I look at it, has holes in the hull. Now, the other one has a canvas cover. And you've got to make up your mind on which to go. The boat's going down. You've got to go with one of them. And please don't think that carnival cruise lines are showing up on the horizon to pick you up. And that's what we have here. Good, good argument. Absolutely. That's not the approach that we took a couple weeks back. My argument was if you think the movement, the Trump train, is going in the wrong direction, you can either give up on it and you can wash your hands of it. Like Pilate, Pontius Pilate, and you can turn it over to itself and all of its sinful desires, or you can be a light. You can join the movement, not because you agree with it, but because you don't agree with it, because you think you can influence it positively. That's why you have to join it. Because if you go to a Bernie Sanders rally, you're not welcome there. If you go to a Hillary Clinton rally, you're not welcome there. But you are welcome on the Trump train. And if you think you have the right principles, and you do, you're welcome on the Trump train and you can influence the people who are on it. Don't wash your hands of it. Because if you think it's going the wrong direction, it needs you. So jump on board. Not because you agree with it, but because you think you can move it in a positive direction. That was an argument, something like that. That was the best argument I could think of for... Not being in the never Trump camp. If I were tasked with making that argument. Okay, so just a little reminder. Um, that all being said, here's Phil Robertson in uh, in France. Here we go. I was forced into the Trump train, but I, I am happily volunteering my services for Mr. Trump, mainly because the Republican Party has spoken. The people have said, we want Mr. Trump. So Mr. Cruz goes down, I love him. But now I'm on the Trump train, and I'll do everything I can to help him. Hey, we have to be loyal to the party. I know Clinton's record, or Bernie Sanders. I know their record. With Donald, I'm not quite sure, since he doesn't have a record in the political arena. However, I'm taking my chances not even knowing. I know the Clintons. I'm not sure about Trump. I'm with Trump. Well, Phil, all right, now can we stop there for one second? Create controversy, and I. Can we stop it there? All right. So that was pretty much the rabbi's argument, right? And that's a lot of people's argument. You've heard that before. Nothing, nothing breakthrough there. Keep going. 
Don't see you do a lot of backtracking. Donald Trump says things that create controversy. He doesn't do a lot of backtracking. Here's how he explained it to Megan last night. I will say this. Um, when I'm wounded, I go after people hard. Okay? And I try and unwound myself. Do you understand that mindset? I understand it. Uh... I'll make a valiant attempt behind the scenes, you understand, to sit down with Donald with a Bible in between us, and I might can help him along with concepts like loving your enemies, loving your God, loving your neighbor, even your enemies. Forgive them and move on. I make can help him in that area. I, I, can, I can see it now. Trump wins. And the camera's panning, and his spiritual advisor is me. <laughs> I think that's beautiful. That reminds me of something. Is, a, is, a, is America ready for it? <laughs> so that was it. That was the argument. He hears Trump not being able to forgive, right? Not being humble, not being willing to accept blame or whatever. And Phil Robertson didn't say, what a joke. I don't want anything to do with that guy. I don't want anything to do with that clown. He doesn't say that. He says, you know, maybe I can get close to him. Maybe I can help advise him properly. Help him see some light. Move in a different direction. That has to be the right answer, right? Now you're thinking, well, I'm never going to meet Donald Trump or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you can influence other people just this is the same. That has to be the right. It's got to be. Now, hold on, Slater. Hold on. I've been listening to the whole show here. And just 15 minutes ago, you talked about a man who spent 22 years in prison in Cuba because he refused to sign a piece of paper saying he supports Fidel Castro. 22 years being tortured and in solitary confinement in a Cuban prison. Anytime he could have been released, all he had to do was sign a piece of paper that said, I support Fidel. And he didn't because he said that would have been a type of spiritual suicide. And Slater, he read his whole speech and the whole thing said, uh, it was about how, yeah, my jailers can take everything from me, but they can't take away my conscience. And even if we have nothing, you still possess the key to your conscience, which is your sacred castle. And that makes you richer than any king or queen. So what the heck, Slater? You talk a little bit ago about how, uh, you know, you got to stand up for what you think is right. And here you are saying, you got to vote for Trump, even though we disagree with him. Which is it? First of all, I'm not saying you should do anything. I, I don't, like you're an adult. I don't, <laughs> I'm not going to tell you what to do. Really, my goal is to provoke some thoughts, make some arguments suggest some things it's up to you what to do i can tell you what to do and the truth is if voting for some trump is such a butchery of your conscience that you like armando would be willing to spend 22 years in jail instead of support him it's fine it's fine it's fine i'm not i'm not even going to criticize you for a second is it that or do you think you're able to influence a trump supporter and ultimately the direction that this entire movement is going if you don't give up on it. That's what you got to decide. And I'll never criticize anyone for voting um, or making a decision based on their conscience. 
We all got to look in the mirror every morning. But I will criticize someone. If you can make a positive difference in people's lives, and if you can make a positive difference in the direction of our country, and you don't, that I'll criticize you for all day long because you're better than that. one 933 Slater Radio on Twitter. Mike Slater Show on Facebook. The Blaze Radio Network, spread the word. This is Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. I think what's happened is we've met the enemy, and it is us, the electorate, the citizens. Politicians are but a reflection of the people. So my goal is, through this documentary, we show a historical account of what happens to empires, to nations, to cultures, when you remove God as the firm basis for your freedom. Statesmen may speculate for liberty, but it is religion and morality which can establish the principles upon which freedom can securely stand. John Adams, it is when people forget God that they tyrants forge their chains. So we're trying to remind people, please don't forget God because you will... uh, end up with what you see and it is really a lot of carnage immorality perversion depravity it is upon us in america these sexually transmitted diseases are rampant i'm just trying to remind people why don't we uh vet our thinking through the word of god love god and love each other why don't we try that for a while and of course that <laughs> that's my story and i'm sticking to it that is your story <laughs> I could just listen to that guy forever. Um, amen. Uh, reminds me of one of my favorite quotes because I love the sentiment and I think it's just perfectly written by young Abraham Lincoln. He was 28 when he delivered this speech. 28 years young. It was 1938, so well before his president. Springfield, Illinois. He said, at what point shall we expect the approach of danger? Shall we expect some transatlantic military giant to step the ocean and crush us at a blow? Never. All the armies of Europe, Asia, and Africa combined with all the treasure of the earth in their military chest and a Bonaparte for a commander could not by force take a drink from the Ohio River. Not in a trial of a thousand years. Let's just stop there. How beautifully written is that? Like that, That is awesome. You know, you've maybe thought a sentiment like that before. I know I've said stuff before like, you know, a foreign country will never take us over. Something like that, right? But look at how Lincoln puts it. All the armies of Europe, Asia, and Africa combined, all the treasure of the earth with a Bonaparte as a commander could not take a drink from the Ohio River. Not in a thousand years. 
So he says, at what point then is the approach of danger to be expected? Well, I answer, if it ever reach us, it must spring up amongst us. It cannot come from abroad. If destruction be our lot, we ourselves must be its author and finisher. As a nation of free men, we must live through all time or die by suicide. I think if we took Phil Robertson's advice right there, learn from every other culture in history, every other civilization that has fallen, then uh, I think we'll be fine. But again, it's, it's about us. It's about the choices we make, the society we create, the culture we design. And we live, the families we live in. It's up to us, not a foreign country. It's really not a crazy sentiment, but I think it's right. All right, I want to come back with uh, almost taking a half a step back. So we've made a bunch of arguments about why I think Donald Trump will win in a landslide. I, I haven't looked it up. I, maybe I can do this during the break. Um, what the biggest victories have been in presidential elections. So I'm not prepared to say this will be the biggest landslide ever, but I'm pretty confident it'll be top five. It might be the biggest. I, I don't know. I think because there was one election that was like absurdly, absurd landslides. So I got to check that up to be sure. But um, it'll be top five landslides for uh, Donald Trump. I'm as confident as I can be. Um, and we've made some arguments along those lines and some subtle things here and there. They look subtle. They look small. They look meaningless. But I think they are incredibly influential. And we don't even know it kind of the crazy part so we've been doing a lot of that um i got some pushback from from a friend of mine the other day on it and he made me think you know what i maybe i haven't done a good enough job with a foundational some foundational truths right so so making maybe some more advanced arguments without a good proper foundation so i want to take a half a step back to all this and talk a little bit about marketing a little bit about marketing about um our autopilot brain about, I don't want to call it subliminal messaging because that sounds too cryptic, uh, but just a little bit a little bit of marketing 101, and then we can use that to analyze how uh, some things in the election are, are uh, being presented. And I think some things will make some sense. Um, on our Facebook page, we put a video up the other day uh, about... Uh, conservatives about about facebook censoring conservatives it got a lot of views facebook did something to it well you can see search for the mike slater show on facebook check it out and share it why you're listening to mike slater part of the next generation of talk radio on the blaze radio network Later in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Hey, it's Slater, because Slater's America is the greatest country in the world. Happy Saturday. Thanks for being here. I suppose I could have taken that drink of water 10 seconds ago, but chose till then. Microphone turns on. Apologies for that. Um, so let's lay this out here. It's going to take a minute. I made an argument the other day that uh, a friend of mine was having nothing of. 
Uh, it's not the first time that this person has not understood these arguments. It was about the New York Times article, the attempted hit piece on Donald Trump and being a sexist and all the rest. And I was making the argument that there's a, there's a picture of Rowan, Rowan and Donald Trump back in 1990 or 91 or whatever. And my argument is that that picture of a super hot supermodel and a powerful looking Donald Trump at a dinner party having a good time together is way more influential to the reader than the words on the paper. Hmm. I said, yeah, it's very similar to, you know, if you really want to know who won a debate, watch it on mute. Turn the sound off. We actually pick up a lot more by watching the debate than the words that are said. Now, I think one reason why people don't like this argument is because it undermines how smart we think we are. <laughs> and, and now it is true. Part of this argument, is, I should say, it's mostly applicable to 95% of people in the country. Not so much you. But for most people, they're mostly influenced by body posture than the actual words and actual policies that are articulated. Okay, so now a lot of that stuff's kind of kind of out there, um, maybe difficult to grasp or accept or whatever. So I thought, all right, I want, I want to take a half a step back here and start from the beginning and kind of work our way there and see if this makes any difference in um, in your thinking. So a couple things. First, most of the time, our brain is on autopilot. Most of the time. Have you ever driven to work in the morning? And you pull into the parking lot and say, I don't remember any of that drive. I d- How did I get here? I don't remember exiting the highway at all. You've done that before? That's your brain on autopilot. When you're folding clothes, you don't say, wait, h- how do I fold this shirt again? I don't. How does this work? I'm not. You just do it. You're on autopilot. And our brain actually tries to put as many things as possible into autopilot mode. And it turns out, uh, scientists have discovered that we spend about half of our day in autopilot mode. Okay. So, marketers play to this. They understand this. So they make things that are easy to understand, easy to process. I think a really good word is they make things that are pleasing to the brain. Things, marketing needs to be pleasing. So what does that mean, pleasing? Uh, Well, let's use an example with color. So good marketers are masters of color. So you got your primary colors, red, blue, yellow. And then your secondary colors and your tertiary colors. And they put them in a color wheel. You want to pair what they call complementary colors. So blue and orange are complementary colors. Red and green, purple and yellow. These are the pairs that are most pleasing to the eye. When you see blue and orange, your brain accepts it because they're 
scientifically and objectively pleasing. And there's been scientific studies on what colors we associate with different moods even. So when you're walking through a store and you see a tag that is yellow, that implies inexpensive cheapness. Red implies speed. Purple is fun. Um, Black implies high quality. Blue means trust. So I could go on forever. The point is there are truths and colors project mood and colors and coloring pairs are more pleasing than others because our brain is mostly on autopilot mode and a brain that's on autopilot mode is either letting in information or blocking it. And if it's not pleasing, it's blocked and we don't even know it. The only way to get through an autopiloted brain, which our brain is on most of the time, the only way to get through it is to have something that's pleasing. Okay. So on that point, marketing, by the way, not just about colors, but about visuals in many other ways as well. Visuals that are clean, crisp, clear, and pleasing. Go to Hillary Clinton's website. Let me see if it still is this way. Because we talked about this on my local show the other day. Let's see if it's still as bad as it was before. Yeah, same thing. Uh, So horribly awful. right? Go to HillaryClinton.com. It's a mess. And you look at it. First of all, you don't know what it is. You don't know it's Hillary's website. I don't even see the word Hillary. Literally above the fold, it doesn't say the word Hillary one time. Not one time. I see the word Trump all over it. And we've talked before about the stupid motto that Hillary has, love Trump's hate, which is so awful in the marketing world. Love Trump's hate. You're putting the word love and Trump next to each other. Love Trump's love. You're putting love and Trump next to each other. That's horrible. That'd be like Pepsi having an ad that says love Coke. And it doesn't matter what word you put after that. You put love and Coke next to each other. And that's what she did. Love and Trump. And Hillary's not even on the website. It's a horrible, horrible website. And then go to Donald Trump's website. The difference is it's drastic. It's crisp, clean, simple. Make America great again. It's got a picture of him giving the peace sign. Okay. Horrible marketing. So anyway, foundational truth number one, our autopilot brain likes things that are pleasing. Okay. Foundational truth number two, we love stories. Humans are designed to be storytellers and story listeners. And our brain remembers stories better than anything. This is how our memories work. Our memory work, literally things happen and we tell ourselves a story and then we insert it into our memory. That's how memories work. This is why um, the, the expression is, where were you when? And that's why we have such good memories. Things like that. Where were you when JFK was shot? You're like, oh, I know exactly where I was. Where were you 9-11? Where were you the Challenger explosion? Where were you when? And you put a good news story in there too, right? Because there's a, the reason we remember these things is because there's a story that's associated with it. And we have a much more vivid memory of it because of that. We love stories. For Alzheimer's patients, there's an amazing documentary about this. If you play music for an Alzheimer's patient, a music, music from their childhood, they perk right back up and remember everything. Because music excites the portion of the brain that related to storytelling and memories. 
We love stories. Okay. So I think this is all simple so far, right? So let's combine foundational truth one and foundational truth number two. We love stories that are pleasing to a brain on autopilot. Now go with me here. We love stories that are pleasing to a brain on autopilot. Now I want to combine these truths into something, but first let's talk about Trump. This is why I believe Trump will win in a landslide because he is a master marketer who fundamentally understands the power of telling simple stories that are pleasing to the brain. That's marketing. Now remember, old school, old school politics, it's about policy. New school, marketing. Politics now is about marketing. Who's the better marketer? And we know the power of marketing. When you, uh, or when you turn on the TV, Nike doesn't spend a minute telling you all the reasons why the material that they use in the soles of their shoe is better because they use different chemicals that make them more durable than what Reebok uses. They don't do that. They show you Kobe Bryant dunking a ball. Apple doesn't spend 60 seconds telling you the details and the, and the different mechanics and engineering of their new camera. They show someone taking a picture of their grandchild and seamlessly sending it to the rest of their family. Good marketers tell simple stories and they do it in a way that is pleasing to a brain that is on autopilot what is donald trump's campaign if it is not one giant simple story vote trump make america great again what's hillary's story what's her slogan what's her message Who is she? What's her identity? No one knows. She doesn't know. That's the point. Trump knows. Now, I want to talk about sound. I want to play a clip here from one of my favorite TED Talks. This is Benjamin Zander, Z-A-N-D-E-R. Please watch the whole thing. It's so good. Um, You just Google Benjamin Zander TED. So he's talking about classical music. And his argument is we're all classical music fans. And he says, you know, I'm I'm sick of hanging out with these classical music people who think that 3% of people like classical music. And if we can only get 4% of people to like classical music, then we'll be set forever. And Benjamin Zander's saying, no, everyone loves classical music. They just don't know it yet. So I want to play this clip right here. It's about two minutes. Just to prove that there is an objective. There, there are, there are objective, fundamental, pleasing things to our brain. Objective, universal, fundamental, pleasing things to our brain. That's point number one. And point number two is the power of storytelling. Enjoy. So let's see what's really going on here. We have a B. This is a B. The next note is a C. And the job of the C is to make the B sad. And it does, doesn't it? (laughs) Composers know that. If they want sad music, they just play those two notes. But basically, it's just a B with four sads. <laughs> now it goes down to A. And now to G. And then to F. So we have B, A, G, F. And if we have B, A, G, F, what do we expect next? Oh, that might have been a fluke. Let's try it again. 
the Ted Choir. And you notice... <laughs> you notice nobody is tone deaf. Is that right? Nobody's. You know, every village in Bangladesh and every uh, 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 hamlet in, in, in China, everybody knows. Da, 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 da. Everybody knows who's expecting that E. Now, Chopin didn't want to reach the E there because what will have happened? It'll be over, like Hamlet. Do you remember Hamlet, Act 1, Scene 3? He finds out that his uncle killed his father. You remember, he keeps on going up to his uncle and almost killing him. And then he backs away, and then he goes up to him again and almost kills him. And the critics, all of whom sitting in the back row there, they have to have an opinion. So they say, Hamlet is a procrastinator. (laughs) (laughs) Or they say, Hamlet has an Oedipus complex. No, otherwise the play would be over, stupid. That's why Shakespeare puts all that stuff in Hamlet, you know, Ophelia going mad and the play within the play and Yorick's skull and the gravediggers. That's in order to delay until Act 5 he can kill him. It's the same with the Chopin. He's just about to reach the E and he says, oops, better go back up and do it again. So he does it again. Now he gets excited. That's excitement, you don't have to worry about it. Now he gets to F sharp and finally he goes down to E. But it's the wrong chord. Because the chord he's looking for is this one. Right. And he said he does. Now we call that a deceptive cadence. Because it deceives us. I always tell my students, if you have a deceptive cadence, be sure to raise your eyebrows, then everybody will know. <laughs> All right. So he gets to E, but it's the wrong chord. Now he tries E again. That chord doesn't work. Now he tries E again. That chord doesn't work. Now he tries, tries E again. That doesn't work. And then finally... There was a gentleman in the front row who went... Mm, like that. <laughs> it's the same gesture he makes when he comes home after a long day, turns off the key in his car and says, Ah, oh, I'm home. Because we all know where home is. Bomb, 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 bomb. Objective, fundamental truth things that are pleasing to the human mind on autopilot. Bom, 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 bom. No, no, no. That's point one. Point two, the power of storytelling. With Shakespeare, with classical music, and with Donald Trump's political campaign. He is the master storyteller. I'll bring it all together next. Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater. We'll continue in a moment. On The Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater is on. All right, I want to get right back to it because we got a lot to do. Time is of the essence. Um, So I made the argument the other day that in the New York Times article, the attempted hit piece uh, against Trump, Camille Polly, a super feminist, said that the picture that they included in the article of supermodel ex-girlfriend Roanne with a younger, handsomer, handsomer, powerful Trump is... (laughs) totally negates whatever the New York Times was trying to do with the words in the article. And my argument is that this picture is simple and pleasing to the reader's brain. It sends a message of prestige. Trump couldn't have paid the New York Times to print a better picture of him and his ex-girlfriend. Trump is a master of stagecraft. Wait until you see the convention that he's going to be in complete control of. Every 
detail will be immaculate. Art of the deal. Basically, the entire point of Art of the Deal is all the things that all the details that Trump pays attention to, like the polishing the brass twice a month in Trump Tower's lobby and the type of marble he got from a certain mountain that is only available uh, in this one mountain in Italy. And everyone's saying, that's crazy. That doesn't make a difference. And Trump explaining to them how it makes a big difference. That's pretty much the book. Master of detail, master of stagecraft, master of persuasion, master of marketing. Nothing else matters in this election. Now, I know you're saying, Slater, I want to know more policy. Yeah, you're in the 5% of people who care. Truly, 5%. Trump's not playing to you. He's not campaigning for you. He's campaigning for the other 95% who wants someone who's likable, powerful, and prestigious. I, I use the example, let's say you're a runner. You're a marathon runner. There may be a better sh- shoe than Nike. Like a real runner may look at Nike as a cheaply made shoe. They want New Balance. Right? Maybe a New Balance is a better shoe. Because they're an advanced, elite marathon runner. But to 95% of people, Nike is the coolest. Nike's the coolest. Because they're better marketers. And I know you understand this. I know you see this in every other realm of life. Politics is no different. Not anymore. Now, politicians have always tried to market. But they've been making ineffective arguments. Trump is the first person to make an effective attention-grabbing argument, and I promise you that arguments, his arguments will end in the next few months. They will end and be as comforting as boom, 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 boom. Trump is writing a story, and it will be simple and pleasing in the end, and the brain that is on autopilot will accept it. On the flip side, Scott Adams suggests doing an experiment at your home. When a female friend or relative comes over, before they come into the house, turn on a Hillary Clinton speech and turn it up. Not so it's distracting, but just so it's in the background. And then watch the expression on your friend's face over the next few minutes. He says two out of three times the woman's face. And I'm not saying like, oh, Hillary Clinton's on the TV. Just hearing noise in the background, if if it's a speech by Hillary... Two out of three times, the woman's face will grimace. Their face will grimace. Just listening to Clinton's speeches actually hurts. It's not pleasing. Try it. It's the equivalent of... Bomb, 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 bomb. One is pleasing to the autopiloted mind. One is not. Trump in a landslide. Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio on the Blaze Radio Network. is Mike Slater. I want to get right to this video here. we only got two more segments left. This is from Van Jones. You know Van Jones. If you've been listening to Glenn for a while, uh, you know all about Van Jones. Uh, it's really from MoveOn.org. So MoveOn.org, super progressive group. They fund Black Lives Matter, stuff like that. So this is a video for progressives. I think it's important to know who this is for. It's not for you. It's for super progressives to get them to wake up and see that Donald Trump is for real. 
and see that Donald Trump can win this thing because there's a lot of people uh, on the left who think this is a joke and, and Hillary's going to crush. And, and my whole argument t- completely objectively is, no, 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 Trump's going to crush Hillary. And Van Jones feels the same way if progressives don't wake up. Okay, So Van Jones, if you don't know, he was Obama's green czar back in the day and has a lot of shady connections. And Glenn Beck went hard on him in 2009. He left the White House. Now he's on CNN. Um, and here's his video. We'll break it up into a few parts. 705. Hi, I'm Dan Jones, and I just want to give you some bad news about Donald Trump. A lot of us have been really happy, giggling, thrilled, because we assume he's going to be easily beaten. The reality is Donald Trump could become the president of the United States. And there are three dumb ideas progressives are telling ourselves that actually are the best friend for Trump. Bad idea number one, Donald Trump is going to self-destruct. He's going to magically disappear in a cloud of Trumpdom because he's going to make all these gaffes. You've called women you don't like fat pigs, dogs, slobs, and disgusting animals. Your Twitter account Only is Rosie several- O'Donnell. No, it wasn't. He's not going to blow himself up. He's not breaking the rules of media. He's actually following the rules of the new media system. FDR understood radio, and he triumphed. JFK understood television, he triumphed. Obama understood the internet, he triumphed. What you have with Trump is a guy that understands social media and reality television. Such an important point. of today. Saying crazy stuff gets you more followers and more viewers, and that's what he's doing. He is not going to gaff himself out of this election. Never, it's not going to happen. Ah, that's, okay, we're, we're going to play more of this. Um, you understand this more than anyone in the whole country, but but I can't express this enough. Uh, we were on CNN. Was it last last Tuesday? I think it was last Tuesday. Anyway, they said Slater. How important is it for Donald Trump to find unity between him and Paul Ryan and Marco Rubio? And I said, um. Uh, not not important. Not, not not that important at all. In fact, he should probably keep picking fights with those two. And they were just blown away. They got like, wow. But we think it's we thought it would be the most important thing. Well, no, no. Slater, how important is it for Donald Trump to release his tax returns? Oh, I mean, none. And there's no way he'll release them. Now, you know why. No one else knows why. You know why Donald Trump won't release his tax returns. Come on. Old school, which is the Mitt Romney way of thinking, is, oh, there must be something in there that's bad. No. What's the new school reason? Attention. Because from now till election day, and he said he's going to release them the day after he's elected. From now till, and he's not going to it then either. But from now until election day, it's going to be all about him. Now you're going to say, well, Slater, that's bad press. No, doesn't matter. No such thing. He needs to win the news cycle every single day. And if tax returns is the way that he does it, it doesn't matter. He needs to be in the news every single day. Story number one. Suck all the oxygen out of the room for Hillary. And it just brings more attention to the fact that he's probably super wealthy. And that increases his prestige. So he's not going to release his tax returns. Why would he do it? He just wants you to talk about him until the election. That's it. And I love that point about 
FDR owned the radio, JFK owned the TV. JFK did not out-policy Nixon. He looked better on TV. Obama crushed McCain with internet outreach and fundraising, and Trump's going to do the same thing with social media and the uh, uh, reality TV culture we live in today. So far advanced. Here's an example. Did you see um, Hillary did a tweet about Donald Trump the other day? Her Twitter account, it has six pictures of Donald Trump, okay? And it says, quote, it's a quote from Donald Trump, quote, you're going to make the same if you do as good a job. Dash Donald Trump on women and equal pay. That's Hillary's attack on Trump. She put six pictures of him with a quote, you're going to make the same if you do as good of a job. Equal pay for equal work. Equality. Like, that's the best she could come up with. And it's the same with her campaign ads. Her first three campaign ads, Donald Trump couldn't have made better campaign ads for himself. Himself. It is insane how outmatched she is in this regard. All right, let's play a little more of this video. 706. Number two bad idea. Number two Linus blanket keeping you warm and happy at night is the idea that he's bad on policy, so therefore he's going to lose. That is ridiculous. He doesn't want to waste time on policy. It won't be until after he's elected, but before he's inaugurated, that he'll figure out exactly what he's going to do. We are not in a period where people care about policies. People don't even understand policies. They just want a strong man to fix it. So he's trying out for that role, the personality role of the strongman. The only thing that can offset a strongman is a strong movement. If we sit down and laugh, as opposed to standing up and fight, we play into his hands. Dumb idea number three, people assume that, you know, demographics are going to save us. You know, he's just so unpopular with people of color, he can't possibly win. Au contraire, okay, that's not true. Only 70% of black folk don't like him. Democrats have to get 90% of the black vote to win. He can be president. Nobody's telling you that. I'm telling you that. You know, and I love people, you know, they talk about, you know, the red states and the blue states or whatever. We got some blue states that are hanging by a thread, and they're all in the rust belt. Michigan, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and they all hate NAFTA. We're not paying attention to a big chunk of America that is hurting, that would accept any change, the bigger the better, even if it came from Trump. So good. So Vance's first point, or first point there, um, it's like he's been listening to the show. Again, all about getting attention, keeping the spotlight. Trump is the strong man, the warrior alpha male. And then second point, secondly, demographics are actually in Trump's favor. I don't know why people don't get this. All the media talk is about is the Hispanic vote, the black vote, whatever. White people make up 72% of the population of the country. 72%. 72 white, 16% Hispanic, 12% black. And all we hear about is the black vote, the Hispanic vote, the this vote, the that vote. And all we hear about is how conservatives will never win because Hispanics and black people will never vote conservative. First of all, that's not true. Conservative principles and policies help everyone. Maybe blacks and Hispanics the most. But B, who cares? White people are 72% of the population nationwide. And in the swing states, right, the rust belts that Van Jones was talking about right there, 81% of Indiana is white. 
76% of Michigan, 81% of Ohio, 79% of Pennsylvania. Now we know that Trump, oh, I forget the polls off the top of my head, but I think Trump is up in Pennsylvania by four, down in Ohio and Florida by one, and he hasn't even started yet. But look at these Rust Belt states, Indiana, Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania. These Rust Belt blue states have more white people than even the average in the country. And the average is pretty high. Oh, the black vote, the black vote. Who cares? As, as uh, Van Jones said, if Trump gets 20% of the black vote, if he gets 10% of the black vote, then Hillary has no chance. Van Jones says that in order for a Democrat to win, they, get, they need to get 92% of the black vote. You're telling me Donald Trump can't get 10% of the black vote? Come on. Of course he can. There is no chance. And of course, that doesn't include all the white people who are going to vote for Trump because jobs, 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 jobs. And if you were listening in the beginning of the half hour, people who are going to vote for Trump because bomb, 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 bomb. That only makes sense if you were listening a half hour ago. Now, Trump's tariff po- uh, policy is horrible. It will be terrible. And we'll usher in a Great Depression if it's fully implemented. But again, policy doesn't matter. It's about optics. Trump is the jobs guy. Demographics are in Trump's favor. And I know a lot of Cruz supporters get mad at me when I say that he's going to crush Hillary in a general election. And I'm not, I don't say that because I support him so much. I'm telling you that as a fact. He will crush her in the general election. Now, I think Cruz would win in a general election too. But Trump's not even close. For all those reasons that Van Jones is warning progressives about. <laughs> um, let me take a break. We'll play the uh, final part of Van Jones's video here coming up next. 1-800-933-93. Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. To Mike Slater. Slater, thanks for being here. We've done a lot today. I appreciate you uh, hanging out. If you can always spend a few minutes, you can go, of course, to theblaze.com slash radio. All of our podcasts are there. You can spread them far and wide. All right, let's wrap up this Van Jones video again. Uh, it's moveon.org, Van Jones narrating. This is a video for progressives telling them that Trump is not going to disappear and he will win if you, progressives, don't get your act together and fight against him. So... Uh, let's wrap it up. Clip 707. People say, well, if Trump gets in, it's no different than Hillary or any of the rest of them. They're all terrible. If Trump gets into office, he will unleash hell on the Latino community. Uh, day one. He will unleash hell on Muslims. Day one. He will get a chance to appoint one or two or three Supreme Court justices. This is all before he ever goes to Congress to pass a bill. He will have the FBI, the CIA, the IRS, NSA to come at you, your movement, your group. Use this moment where someone's trying to get us to turn on each other. Let's come together, turn to each other, and stop Donald Trump. Look, if this makes sense to you, stop would you please so, share this video? Uh, <laughs> so the Unleash Hell on Latinos and Unleash Hell on Muslims, 
he's not going to do any of the things he said he will with Muslims or Hispanics. He's already walking back the Muslim ban by saying it was a mere suggestion. And he always gave himself an out with the uh, immigrants when he said, stop the, or no, when he, I'm sorry, Muslims, when he said, um, stop the immigration of all Muslims until, 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 until we figure out what's going on. No one ever quotes uh, the out that he gave himself with the until we figure out what's going on. And it's all marketing. But the reason I played that last clip is when he says, you can't elect Trump. We got to make sure we do everything to not elect Trump. Because just imagine if he has the Justice Department, the CIA, the IRS, and the NSA come after you and your movement and your group. Wow, that is rich, Van. You mean exactly like what Obama's done to conservatives? I mean, that's Van Jones making the argument that we can't let someone else do to us what we've been doing to other people for the last seven years, right? Speaking to progressives, right? We Come on, guys. We got to get moving. We can't make sure Trump gets elected. We got to make sure he doesn't get elected because we can't have him do to us what we've been doing to other people with the IRS and conservative groups. Justice Department in North Carolina just last few weeks here. Who even knows what the NSA is up to? So that's a good little ending there for uh, Van Jones. Funny. So anyway, that's that. Trump will win in a landslide. And um, it's just because we live in a different era. I think the smartest thing that Van Jones said there was that, again, uh, FDR owned the radio, JFK owned the TV, Obama owned the Internet, and Donald Trump owned social media and um, reality, the reality TV culture that we have today. The convention in Cleveland is going to be unlike anything that's ever been done before in Republican conventions. I heard it described the other day where uh, previous conventions have been made for C-SPAN. This one will be packaged to like the Olympics. He will have complete control over every single aspect of it. He's going to blow it up by, I, he'll probably announce the VP at the convention, which is great. I, I think the Politico said, or he quoted a Trump insider as saying announcing the VP before the convention is a like is like announcing the winner of the apprentice before the finale. It, it is going to be such a epic display unlike anything the Republican party has ever seen because Trump is the master marketer and the Democrats have always been the master marketers. This is what's going to be so frustrating for them. I remember we did this segment 8 years ago about the stage at the Democratic National Convention with Obama. I'll never forget it. It was TV screens exploding, out, like giant screens. I shouldn't say TV, giant projection screens exploding out of the middle of the stage and going up over the audience. I can't even describe it. It's like the TVs were bending up and over everyone like a volcano. It was unreal. Beautiful. Huge stage. And the Republicans had uh, one big like movie screen <laughs> totally out stage crafted totally out marketed think of the obama logo you know the obama logo the o with like the red and white road going through the middle of it his logo no one else has been able to market like that until donald trump and he could certainly beat hillary with that search for the mike slater show on facebook we can hang out all week until then see you next saturday spread the word you're listening to mike slater Part of the next generation of talk radio on the Blaze Radio Network.